In the last video we looked at different types of trades that you can place in the stock market. In this video we're going to look at what happens to your order after you've placed it. So how does your order actually get executed so that you can buy or sell shares? There are basically two types of market. There are price-driven markets and order-driven markets. We're going to consider the price-driven market first. This is the one you're probably more familiar with. And in a price-driven market, all trades take place through a market maker or a specialist. Uh, we use those two words interchangeably. And this specialist is basically an intermediary between buyers and sellers. Now the market maker is obliged to post a bid price and an ask price. Now these are the prices they're willing to buy and sell a stock at any point in time. So if you want to make a trade in a price-driven market, the market maker has no choice but to trade with you. That is his or her role. They are providing immediacy to traders. When you want to trade, they have to trade with you. Now as a student, it's often easy to get confused between bid and ask prices. The bid price is the price at which the market maker is willing to buy and the ask price is the price the market maker is willing to sell at. So if you go to the market maker and say you want to buy a stock, you have to buy from the market maker at his ask price because that's the price he's willing to sell at to you. So you can buy at the ask and sell at the market maker's bid. Now often you hear the term the bid-ask spread when they're talking about a stock. The bid-ask spread is just the difference between the ask price and the bid price. A good question would be, why do we have bid-ask spreads? The answer is that the market maker has to be compensated for providing immediacy. The market maker doesn't just stand there and say that anyone can trade with them at any time of the day for free. They need to be compensated. But in addition, market makers also face costs. They have admin staff, they have operations staff, they have lots of technology costs. They also face costs from trading against people who are more informed than they are. Maybe there's an insider in a company who wants to trade and the market maker has to trade. They also face inventory costs. The market maker will have an optimal portfolio and whenever you want to trade with the market maker, you're moving the market maker away from their optimal portfolio. Again, they need to be compensated for that because if you hadn't traded with them, they would be holding their optimal portfolio. And the way we compensate market makers for providing immediacy and for all these costs that they face is through the bid-ask spread. And this requires traders to sell low to them at their bid price while buying high from them at the ask price. So market makers buy low, sell high, whereas individual investors trading with the market makers 
buy high and sell low. The second type of market is an order-driven market. A good example of an order-driven market could be Euronext in Europe. This is the main exchange for the French stock market. It's completely order-driven. And in this type of market, traders submit their orders to an electronic order book, which automatically matches the orders. So there's no person involved in matching orders. It's all done by a computer. And when several orders are competing for execution at the same price, time priority is normally enforced. By time priority, I mean that the first trade to be placed on the order book will be the first trade that will be matched up. Order books revolve around limit orders. Limit buys are going to be ranked in descending order because investors willing to buy at the highest price should get their order executed first. Similarly, limit sales are going to be ranked in ascending order because investors who are willing to sell at the lowest price should get their order executed first. Now this idea of an order-driven market is probably foreign to most people. What we're going to do now is take a look at, an, at how an order book works in reality and work through the terminology. Here's an example of an order book for Cedarberg Technology. The order book is built around limit orders. We have limit buy orders and limit sell orders. And what you see in the order book is you see the price that someone is willing to buy or sell at and you see the number of shares that they are willing to trade at that price. In the previous slide we noted that limit buys would be ranked in descending order. So the first buy order in the order book that's at the top of the queue will be the one with the highest price here. So this would be ranked number one, two and three. On the sell side, we said that it was the reverse. The person willing to sell at the lowest price would be ranked number one. And that's what we see. The limit sell order here with a price of $100. So someone's willing to sell at 100 versus 102 or 110. The other thing to note about this order book is what we call depth. Depth is the number of shares available to buy or sell. In this order book, what we can see is that there's a lot of depth on the buy side. We have 750 plus 2,000 plus 6,000. So we have 8,750 shares on the buy side. So we have people are willing to buy 8,750. If we look at the limit sells, people are only willing to sell 1,200 shares. So we have a big mismatch in the depth across the buying and the selling. Now suppose someone came to this market and wanted to buy 2,000 shares in a market order. If someone wants to buy 2,000 shares, we have to find people who, who are willing to sell 2,000 shares. We have a list of the limit sales. All of these people are willing to sell at these pre-specified prices. But look at the depth. 
The market order is for 2,000 shares. Here we only have 1,200 shares available for sale. So we have a bit of a problem. The market order could not be executed in its full quantity. We could only trade 1,200 of the shares. This is something called execution risk, which is common in an order book. In a price-driven market, there is no execution risk because the market maker has to be willing to trade with you at all times, regardless of how much you want to trade. Now let's work through this order book in a bit more detail. Often traders talk about effective spreads. What does it mean? Well, the question is, what is the difference between the price that you can sell a stock at or buy a stock at? So suppose you want to sell. That means you've got to find someone who's willing to buy the shares. We want to buy, we want to sell 100 shares. We would look then for someone to buy them. So we'd look at the limit buys and we'd see that the first person on this list is willing to buy the shares at 98 and they're willing to trade up to 750 shares at that price. We only want to trade 100, so that's fine. So if we wanted to sell, we could sell for $98. If we want to buy, then we must find someone who's willing to sell. What price is someone willing to sell 100 shares at? Well, if we look at the order book, the first limit sell is at 100. And at this price, they're willing to trade 100 shares. So if we want to buy the shares from them, we have to pay 100. What's the difference between the buy price and the selling price? $2. That's the effective spread. Now let's make this a bit more complicated. Suppose you want to trade a volume of 200 shares, not 100 shares. Now what's the effective spread? Now again, we'll look at both sides. If we want to sell, what price can we sell at? Well, we can sell to the limit buys. And we see that the first limit buy is willing to trade up to 750 shares at 98. So we can easily sell 200 shares to this limit buy. Sell 200 at $98. If we want to buy 200 shares, we've got to find people willing to sell. And we see that the first limit sell order at $100, that trader is willing to trade 100 shares. So we will buy 100 shares at the price of 100. But we need 200 shares. We're going to move down the order book to the next order, which is also for 100 shares. But this person is willing to sell at a price of 102. We're going to trade with them as well, because we want to trade 200 shares in total. So we're going to trade another 100 shares at a price of $102. The cost 
of buying going to be equal to 100 divided by 200 because we buy 100 shares at the price of 100 and we buy 100 shares at the price of 102 which gives me an average price of 101. The effective spread is again the difference between the price we can buy and sell at. And the difference now is 101 minus 98 which equals $3. Now suppose a limit sell order arrives in the market with a price of $98 and a volume of 1,000 shares. Where does it go? We know that this is the ranking of orders. So orders rank number one will be traded first. And limit cells are ranked in ascending order. Currently on this order book, the lowest price anyone's willing to sell at is 100. But we have this new limit sell order. And this trader is willing to sell at 98. So the trader selling at 98 would go to the top of the order book. And they're willing to trade 1,000 shares at 98. Now what happens to the order book as this order comes in? Well, look what happens. We have someone who's also willing to buy at 98. And they're willing to buy 750 shares at a price of 98. And this new limit sell order, the person is willing to sell 1,000 shares at 98. The computer will see this, and it will automatically match these two trades together. This limit buy order will be filled completely by this limit sell. And because the person is only willing to buy 750 shares at 98, and the person who is selling at 98 wants to sell 1,000, we are left with 250 shares still in the limit sell order. And that's what we see on the next slide. Here is the updated order book. And now a market buy order is submitted for 400 shares. We've got to find out what the average price is that's paid by the buyer and what happens to the order book as a result of the market buy order. If we want to buy Cedarberg technology, we have to find people willing to sell. This is where we're looking then. We're looking at the limit sell orders. And what do we know? We know we can buy 250 shares at 98, but we need to buy 400 shares. And it's a market order, so it just has to be executed as quickly as possible. So the computer sees that it can obtain 250 shares at a price of 98. It can then obtain 100 shares at a price of 100. That gives us 350 shares. And we need an additional 50 shares purchased at 102. The computer does all this automatically and calculates the average price that the buyer is going to have to pay. And the average price is 250 divided by 400 times by 98 plus 100 divided by 400 times by 100 plus 50 divided by 400 times by 102. 
which gives us an average price of $99. If a market buy order is submitted for 400 shares, the computer automatically calculates which limit cells it should look at and the average price for that trade. What's going to happen to the order book though? So this market buy order is submitted. The computer automatically executes it. That means the limit sell at 98 disappears because we've all of those shares have been bought. This order would also disappear because all of those shares have been bought. And here we would be left with 50 shares in the limit sell that are willing to be sold at 102. And the person willing to sell at 110, we haven't changed their order at all. That's what you see on this updated order book. Now, what's the effective spread on a volume of 1,000 shares? We can sell at the price that someone's willing to buy from us, which would be $96. We can sell 1,000 shares at $96. We can buy at the limit sell. Now we can buy 50 shares at a price 102. And then we'll need to buy the remaining 950 at a price of 110. The average buying price is going to be 50 divided by 1,000 times by 102 plus 950 divided by 1,000 times by 110, which is equal to $109.60. The spread on a volume of 1,000 shares is going to be 109.6 minus 96, which is equal to 13.60 dollars. We've now worked through several examples of what happens in order books. I hope that this has made you more used to how computers match up trades in an order book. What are the differences then between a price-driven market and an order-driven market? What we're going to look at is execution risk and bid-ask spread. So in a price-driven market, if you submit a market order, is there any execution risk? Well, the answer is no. Why not? Because the market maker in a price-driven market has to provide immediacy. If you want to trade, the market maker has to trade with you. Now, is there a bid-ask spread in a price-driven market? Yes, because we know the market maker needs to be compensated for providing immediacy, plus all the additional costs the market maker faces. Now, let's consider a market order in an order-driven market. Is there execution risk in an order-driven market? The answer is yes. As we saw, it depends on the depth of the market. If you submit a large order for millions of shares, you want to buy millions of shares, it may not be possible to execute that order because there may not be millions of shares available to be sold. And if the shares aren't there with people willing to sell them, you can't buy the shares. So we do have execution risk in an order-driven market. Do we have a bid-ask spread? Yes, we do. 
we've seen the effective bid-ask spread. We've been calculating it. Is there any execution risk with a limit order in a price-driven market? The answer is no. If the price of the stock hits the limit, then the market maker is required to trade. However much the limit order is for, the market maker has to trade. There's no execution risk there. Nor is there any bid as spread, because it's a limit order in which it says you have to buy at a certain price or sell at a certain price. So limit orders have eliminated the bid as spread. What about in an order-driven market? Is there execution risk for limit orders? The answer is yes. If there's not enough depth in the order book for a large limit order, then it won't be executed, or at least not all of the order will be executed. But just as in the price-driven market with limit orders, there is no bid-ask spread. The main difference between these two types of market, price-driven and order-driven, is execution risk. In price-driven markets, there is no execution risk. In order-driven markets, there is execution risk. What's the advantage of an order-driven market? Well, an order-driven market doesn't need a market maker. Earlier, I gave an example of an order-driven market, and that would be Euronext, uh, which is now owned by the NYSE. It's part of their drive in Europe to acquire stock exchanges. In Paris, all stocks are traded on Euronext, and it's an order-driven market. But let's think about stock exchanges closer to home in America. The biggest stock market in the world is the New York Stock Exchange. And the NYSE actually is neither price-driven or order-driven. It's both. It has a hybrid structure. Now, you've probably seen pictures or videos of what we would call floor trading. There are 17 trading posts on the floor of the NYSE where a single specialist or market maker makes the market for some stocks. And they monitor the order book and they record all the transactions. Who trades with the market makers? Well, you see lots of floor brokers screaming and shouting at the market makers. And they're trading on behalf of their customers. And they trade physically on site. That's what you see. All those people crowded around the computers, they're trading with the market maker. That's floor trading. That sounds like price-driven markets. But there is also electronic trading. Orders can be placed to the NYSE through the SuperDot system, and they are added automatically to an order book, which is monitored by the specialists. And orders on the order book will be matched up automatically where possible. In terms of volumes, roughly 75% of all orders to the NYSE are submitted via the SuperDot system. So they're submitted electronically. But the floor brokers still account for about 70% of the total volume. What this means is that large trades tend to be executed on the floor. So if you want to trade millions of shares, you don't submit that order electronically. Instead, you call up a floor broker who talks directly with the specialists. 
and they will execute the trade for you because you should get a better deal on the floor. Specialists handle all the trades except for the ones that are executed either among floor brokers themselves or those that are matched electronically in the order book. If we look at the NASDAQ, they operate a pure price-driven market. They have competing market makers and these market makers are obliged to continuously maintain a quoted bid and ask price for a given security. So we have lots of market makers making markets in the same stock. On the NYSE, one market maker would make a market for several stocks and have no competition. In NASDAQ, we have competing market makers. In theory, you'd think that having competing market makers would be better. But initially in the NASDAQ, uh, it appeared that the market makers were colluding. And indeed, in 1994, uh, two academics, Bill Christie and Paul Schultz, uncovered collusion between these competing market makers. They were giving customers bad quotes and bad prices. That's now been changed. So hopefully the competing market maker system does lead to competition between market makers, which means that for the customers, which is you and I who want to trade, means we should get better prices. Now this is a, the NASDAQ is different from the NYSE in another sense as well. With the NYSE, we have a trading floor. We have lots of brokers in a physical location. Market making on the NASDAQ is done electronically through a communications network. And the communications network connects all trading participants. There is no physical trading floor. The traders observe the screens, which quote the best bid price and the best ask price at any point in time regardless of which market maker is quoting those bids and asks. And the market makers, they observe something different. They observe screens which display the entire order book for, for the stock they're trading. So those are the two biggest markets in the US and they operate in very different fashions. A growing market that's providing a lot of competition for the traditional exchanges would be something called electronic communications networks. These are order-driven automated trading systems, very similar in spirit to Euronext in France. And in these ECNs, members just post buy and sell orders, and these orders are matched with the orders of other traders in the system. So it's an order book. Traders actually have liked this. It provides them with great anonymity or I should say greater anonymity relative to trading on the NYSE or the NASDAQ. And that's very popular. We have lots of hedge funds who may want to cover up their identities. They can do that by trading via ECNs. They've been incredibly successful, these ECNs. They captured over 40% of the trading volume in NASDAQ listed stocks. Many of the ECNs because of their success, have actually been bought out by the NYSE and the NASDAQ. One example of a ECN that is still trading is Bloomberg Tradebook, 
and you can look that up online if you're interested. We've looked at the NYSE and the NASDAQ and we've seen that they have very different ways to execute your orders. The NASDAQ is a pure price-driven market while the NYSE is a hybrid of an order-driven market and a price-driven market. Which is better? It's very tough to say which is better. But we're going to have a look here at some of the data that both of these exchanges provide. So first let's look at the comparison between the NYSE and the NASDAQ using data from the NYSE. In the graphs at the top, the NYSE has been reporting the effective spread on stocks. And they report the difference between, they report the spreads for the NYSE and for the NASDAQ. After controlling for lots of other factors. So these are complicated statistical analyses. But here are the, the resulting effective spreads. So this is the difference between the price you can buy and sell at. In each of these bars, we see that the NYSE has much lower effective spreads than the NASDAQ. However we look at this with different data, we get the same result. The NYSE has lower effective spreads. That means it's better for investors like you and I. We're going to get better prices with the NYSE. In the bottom chart, what we're looking at are stocks that previously listed on NASDAQ. What happens when they list on the NYSE instead? So often in the Wall Street Journal, you'll see an announcement that a stock has chosen to move or delist from the NASDAQ and list on the NYSE or vice versa. And in this graph, what we're looking at are stocks that were on the NASDAQ that moved to the NYSE. And what do we see? Well, we see that these stocks that switched to the NYSE have much lower costs after switching to the NYSE. The effective spreads, the quoted spreads, the actual realized spreads have fallen following their move to the NYSE. From this data, you'd think that the NYSE is a lot better than the NASDAQ. However, that was using NYSE data. The NASDAQ also have their own data that they'd like you to look at. And here it is. First of all, here in this top graph, we're looking at the average effective spread on all marketable orders, regardless of the size. And what do we see? Well, look at this. Across all orders, it seems that the effective spreads are smaller for the NASDAQ than they are for the NYSE. In other words, as NASDAQ so eloquently put it, NASDAQ is better. If we look over here to the right at the average execution speed, in other words, when you place your order on the NASDAQ, how long does it take for your order to be executed for a market order? The answer is 3.2 seconds on the NASDAQ compared to 7.5 seconds on the NYSE. Finally, let's look at the effective 
price in relation to the quote on all market orders of all sizes. What you see at the NASDAQ is that 86.6% of trades are executed at the quoted price. So if you called up your broker and said, I'd like to trade a NASDAQ stock, your broker would get a quote and you'd say yes or no at that quoted price. The broker would go back to the market maker and say yes. And 86.6% of the time, the market maker would trade with you at that quoted price. 7.2% of the time, the market maker would actually improve the price. In other words, the price gets better for you. If you're selling, the price might increase. If you're buying, the price might decrease. That happens 7.2% of the time. And 6.2% of the time, the price actually gets worse between the time you agreed to trade and the actual trading time. For the NYSE, only 77.8% of orders are executed at the quoted price. You get price improvements for about 8.6%, but you get price disimprovements for about 13.7% of all market orders. So according to the NASDAQ, this means the NASDAQ is better than the NYSE. All the data here suggests the NASDAQ is better. Objectively, it's hard to say which exchange is better, the NYSE or the NASDAQ. It really isn't clear, and there'll always be debate on this topic. The good thing is that the NYSE and the NASDAQ are always competing for business. The NYSE wants to attract firms that are currently listed on the NASDAQ to list on the NYSE. And the NASDAQ's trying to attract NYSE firms. Now, because of this competition, hopefully both of these markets are very efficient, which means it's good for investors wanting to trade. That's all I want to talk about today, about the different types of market and how your orders get placed on the market. I'll see you in class.